Roman named Patricius, son of Calpurnius, was stolen into slavery by the Gaels, a race of people who inhabited Ireland and Scotland. After six years, Patricius escaped. He returned as the Christian bishop, St. Patrick, intent on converting the masters he had once served. The Gaels were Druids. Druidism was not so much a religion as it was a college of wise men, versed in prophecy and witchcraft. The Gaels prized education. Thomas O'Sullivan, an 18th-century scholar of Irish antiquities, provided a description of a Gaelic or Bardic school. Concerning the poetical seminary or school, it was only open to such as were descended of poets and reputed within their tribes. The qualifications first required were reading well, writing the mother tongue, and a strong memory. The professors gave a subject suitable to the capacity of each class. The said subject having been given overnight, they worked it apart, each by himself, upon his own bed, the whole next day in the dark, till at a certain hour, lights being brought in, they committed it to writing. Being afterwards come together in a large room where the masters waited, each scholar gave in his performance, which, being corrected or approved, either the same or fresh subjects were given against the next day. Ireland's reputation for scholarship would grow. Before becoming a conquered land, Ireland would lead Europe out of the Middle Ages, also called the Dark Ages. In the ninth century, barbarians swept across Europe, destroying centuries of art and scholarship. Meanwhile, the remote island of Ireland lay relatively untouched. There, St. Patrick had established Christianity, especially in the form of monasteries. These monasteries were storehouses of manuscripts, many of which had been destroyed elsewhere. Thus Ireland became the teaching center of Europe and acquired another nickname, the Isle of Saints and Scholars. It has been said that Ireland's scholarly nature and her diffuse political system prevented the Irish from forming a common defense against the invaders who would soon overwhelm her. It has also been said that Ireland's ingrained traditions and her diffuse political system may have been precisely what made the island so difficult to conquer. There was no one leader to subdue, no one capital to overwhelm. And even if a physical conquest were achieved, how could you conquer the Irish soul? The Irish worldview differed from that of its conquerors. In particular, their worldview differed from that of their first successful conquerors, the Normans. Originally a Scandinavian tribe descended from Vikings, the Normans had captured the region of northern France, now called Normandy. From there, William the Conqueror invaded England. In the 10th century, the Norman Earl of Pembroke, called Strongbow, landed in Ireland. He came at the behest of an Irish king who had been defeated in tribal warfare and required foreign aid. In this endeavor, Strongbow was encouraged by the English king, Henry II, who preferred to keep his overly ambitious earls out of England. The Irish warriors, without helmet or armor, fell before Strongbow's horsemen, who were clad in mail and carried quick-firing bows. As the Normans advanced, they secured their conquests by building stone castles. The French scholar Roger Chauveret observed, There was nothing which could bring together the two races, the invaders and the invaded. 
neither language, since the one spoke French and the other Gaelic, nor institutions, since on the one side there was the carefully worked out scale of feudalism, on the other the vaguely federal patriarchal tribes. Nor juridical conception with primogeniture on one hand and limited election on the other. Nor indeed did they have any common interest. The Irish, in their unsullied pride, were astounded to find themselves being robbed, without any pretext, of lands which their ancestors had possessed from time immemorial, while the Normans looked on them as an inferior and savage race, in any event, without rights, with no share in the guarantees secured by the law. Henry II began to fear that a rival state was arising. Backed by 4,000 men-at-arms and 500 knights, Henry landed in Ireland and was officially installed as ruler. His rule was a mere formality. The English could control only the 30 square miles around the southern city of Dublin. Because this area was surrounded by a state fence or palisade, it was called the Pale. On pain of death, the Irish were to remain outside the Pale. Over the next centuries, a balance of power gradually emerged in Ireland. The Gaels began to use armor and to build castles of stone. Through marriage, bloodlines mingled. Soon, hardly a great house was altogether Gaelic or Norman. The English adopted the Gaelic lifestyle, the poetry and the music, the small harp, the castle bard, and the custom of riding bareback. In Ireland, these assimilated Normans were called old foreigners. In England, they were called degenerate English. For centuries, Ireland was mildly plundered, but basically left alone. English soldiers simply preferred not to serve in Ireland. Some said they would rather go to the gallows. The soldiers' reluctance came partly from an aversion to the Irish style of warfare. T. Gainsford describes such warfare in his book, The Glory of England. The Irish will plash down whole trees over the passes, and so intricately wind them or lay them, that they shall be a strong barricade, and then lurk in ambush amongst the standing wood, playing upon all comers as they intend to go along. On the bog they likewise presume, with a naked celerity, to come as near our foot and horse as is possible, and then fly off again, knowing we cannot, or indeed dare not, follow them. Then in the mid-16th century, the Tudor king Henry VIII complicated foreign affairs. After failing to get a papal annulment of his first marriage, Henry broke with the Roman Catholic Church. Both the Irish and British parliaments endorsed this break, and Henry was declared king of this land of Ireland as united and next and knit forever to the imperial crown of the realm of England. The Anglican Church was established in both countries as the state church, with Henry at its head. But since the average Catholic Irishman could still attend Mass, these religious innovations caused little stir. It was not until the reign of Elizabeth I, Henry VIII's daughter, that persecution raged. This persecution was the result of England's budding overseas empire, which brought her into conflict with France. In 1570, Protestant England had a population of four million. 
Catholic France had a population of 20 million and much greater wealth. Geography made Ireland a back door for the invasion of England by any Catholic army. Since the great families of Ireland had a history of forming foreign alliances, Elizabeth felt that the island had to be subdued for England's national security. Ireland was devastated. Harvests were burned, herds were massacred. As the Irish starved, their land was assigned to prominent Englishmen, such as Sir Walter Raleigh and the poet Edmund Spencer. These new owners established a form of feudalism by which the Irish lived as tenants on the land they had formerly owned. This was known as the Plantation of Ireland. The Irish rebelled and were brutally crushed. After all, to the British, the Irish were no more than wild beasts. English reports claimed that Irish children were eating their mothers and old women were cooking children. The wild Irish, as they were called, wore their hair matted over their eyes and went about naked. They were said to scarcely know the purpose of clothing. William Thomas, in his book The Pilgrim, expressed the common British view. The wild Irish, as unreasonable beasts, lived without any knowledge of God or good manners. In common of their goods, cattle, women, children, and every other thing, nor yet any justice executed for murder, robbery, or other like mischief, but the more force had ever the more reason. And hereof it followed that because their savage and idle life could not be satisfied with the only fruit of the natural unlaboured earth, therefore continually they invaded the fertile possessions of their Irish neighbours that inhabited the English Pale. The English experience in Ireland would greatly...